What I'm going to share with you tonight, um, I've got a theme, I've got a heading, winning the game. Now this is not my initial message. These were not my initial thoughts. I really wanted to share a, a bit tonight on healing with you. And I was in the middle of preparing that, but perhaps they were my own thoughts. But during the week, I had a conversation with Graham and he said, for the last two weeks, you've been going on and on about this rugby match and England winning this rugby match. So why don't you speak on winning the game? And I thought to myself, yeah, that, that sounds like a good idea, actually. Uh, because when you think about it, there are a lot of an analogies between winning the game and what's involved and living a successful Christian life. And I thought, yes, that's going to be a good challenge for me. I will have a go. So I decided <coughs> to look into it. So here's what I have come up with tonight. And I hope that, you know, it is something that would bless your heart, would challenge, would encourage in some way. I know we didn't win the match, so it might feel a little bit strange on some of the things I will be sharing tonight. But for a moment, just for a crazy moment, can we just assume that England did win the match? <laughs> but the first thing I thought about when I was you know, trying to look at both, both of these topics together is the first thing is knowing the rules and deciding to follow them. See, in the game of rugby, there are lots of rules. And of course, I had to do a little bit more research on the information I already had, just as an onlooker. The object of the game is that two teams of 15 players each, observing fair play according to the laws and a sporting spirit, should by carrying, passing, kicking, and grounding the ball, score as many points as possible, the team scoring the greater number of points to be the winner of the match. The laws of the game are complete and contain all that is necessary to enable the game to be played correctly and fairly. Last updated in 1996, there are 28 laws. Didn't know if you knew that one. Covering things such as the pitch, kickoff, scrummage, line-out, tackles, try, offside, conduct of the players, penalties. Even the ball has to be a particular size. Oval in shape, length 280 millimeters, circumference 760, circumference in width 580, weight 400 grams. All these things I was very fascinated with. The players must not wear dangerous projections such as buckles or rings. Studs on their boots have to be a certain size. And I thought, yes, as Christians, we have laws, we have rules that we need to follow in this life. When we choose to be, be Christians, to be followers, when we make that decision to follow Jesus, there are rules that we need to know, need, rules that we need to follow. You know, all of us as children of God have a purpose here on earth. Some time ago, I... I spoke on the way of perfection and went into details about what does it mean to be a Christian? What is the gospel all about? 
In Genesis, we read that God said, let, let us make man in our image. What did that mean? It meant his moral image. But we know what happened. We've heard the story time and time again. Man sinned. And Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we know that we are all sinners. And we know that at some time, we have broken God's laws. See, we are made in God's image. And the reason God made us in, our, in his image was so that we would reflect his character. We would be like him. That was the purpose that we were created. We know the story of the <clears throat> commandments being given to Moses on Mount Sinai. We know about the Ten Commandments. We know the whole story about it. He went up to the mountains, waited for God to give him the Ten Commandments. When he came down, there were all the people. The very first thing he saw as he came down the mountain was that all the people had made an idol and they were worshipping it. And the very first law that God gave him is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image and worship it. And yet that was the first thing that Moses saw when he walked down the mountain. He was shocked. But the laws were given from then so that man would know what is required in this Christian life or even just being alive because that's why we were created. <clears throat> Later on in the scriptures, we have more and more information about the laws. We have a lot of expansion on that. Jesus uh, spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. He went into details about what the law meant. He said, I did not come to fulfill the law. I, I did not come to change the law, but I came to fulfill them. And he went on to explain, yes, the law said, do not kill, do not steal, do not lie, do not cheat. But he went on to say some horrendous things that even if you're angry with a brother, you know, that is considered going against the character of God. And as we read the scriptures, we go into the New Testament, we read about um, uh, the letters that Paul wrote to the early church, and there's lots of instructions in there, there are lots of rules to follow. You know, Paul talks about slander, he talks about drunkenness, he talks about sexual immorality. And if we read Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, Galatians, time and time again, we hear Paul talk about foolish talking, uh, getting into situations that are not, does not re help us to reflect the character of God. So there we have a set of rules that we need to know and that we need to follow. And the second thing I thought about is to have a good winning team, you have to have a good coach. And I thought, what qualities would a coach have? First of all, I would think a coach has to know the sport completely, know everything there is to know about the sport. Secondly, they've got to know the, athlete, the, the players. 
know their weaknesses, know their strengths, know their abilities. But not only that, but they need to know what is happening in a player's life to know how that might affect their game. A coach, a successful coach would be a good motivator with a positive attitude and enthusiasm for the game and the players. The ability to motivate and inspire is part of the formula for success. Getting the players to believe in themselves. We can do this. Wanting the best for them and from them. And a good coach would lead by example. It would not just be do as I say. Hey, you can't get it right. I can show you. This is what you need to do. And I thought, you know, as children of God in this life, this Christian walk, we have the best coach that there ever could be. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our coach. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. When Jesus left his disciples on earth, he said to them, I am leaving you, but I will send the Comforter, one who will help you, one who will show you the way. And if we read uh, Romans 8, if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow, Romans 8 says, Chapter, sorry, chapter 8, verse 6. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, if the Spirit of God lives in you, our only hope of hitting the target of being like Christ. But the difference between the coach, the coach is a team of players, and our coach is that our coach lives in us. Our coach changes us and makes a difference. God's laws are not easy to follow, we know that. At some time in our lives, we would have broken those laws. But the Holy Spirit is there. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us, our only hope of being like Christ. He is the one that changes us. He is the one that does it. We can't do it ourselves. So how does the Holy Spirit make it possible for us to keep God's laws? Paul explains this in Romans 8. Just a few of the points that he brings out. The first one, he lives in us. We are enabled to fulfill the righteous demands of our holy God. The Holy Spirit brings about change. You know, there are a lot of people know Jesus is around and they know the Holy Spirit is around. We do not want the Holy Spirit in our lives because the Holy Spirit brings about change. And we don't like change. We don't like it when things are different. How many times have you gone to the supermarket, you know, and you've got a mental picture where everything is. And you walk in and you go to the shelf that has all the cereals and it's not there anymore. You know, and you go to the washing pad and it's not there anymore. And somebody has changed everything around. 
You know, we don't like change. We just like to stay in our comfort zones where we know where everything is and we know what's happening. But the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, one of the things that the Holy Spirit, our coach, has to change us because our God wants us to be like him. That is, should be our aim, to be like Christ. And that's the only way it can happen. And he brings about change. So we have to be, open our hearts and our minds to receive change or to change. A man who had been married for 10 years went to see a marriage guidance counselor and said, when I was married, when I was first married, I was happy. I got home from a hard day's work and my wife brought me my slippers and my dog ran around me and barked. But after 10 years of marriage, things have changed. I get home from a hard day's work, my dog brings me my slippers and my wife runs around and barks. And the counselor said, I don't know what you're complaining about. You're getting the same service. But, you know, we resent change. We object to it. And especially you men, you know, your little caves where you know everything, where everything is. And then dear little wife comes and cleans up. And everything's moved. And you don't know where anything is all of a sudden because we're, we're creatures of habit and we just like things just as they are. But as Christians, we have to put ourselves in a place where God can change us, that we're not too stubborn, that we can't hear his word and his voice. He wants the best for us. God will never withhold anything good from his children. So when we are pushed to the limit sometimes and he wants us to change, really, he is he's looking for the best in us. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does according to Paul in Romans 8, five chapter, sorry, verses 5 to 8, is he helps us fight sin. He gives us power over sin. The Spirit convicts us of sin and leads us into righteousness. You know, have you, have you ever really known the Holy Spirit to convict you of something? Something you might be thinking, something you might have said, something you might have done, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Exodus 20 laid down the requirements of the law, the commandments. Jesus expanded it. The Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. But we know that with the help of the Holy Spirit, commands have now become promises because that is what God has promised to do in us, to change us. The third thing the Holy Spirit does is he leads us, he guides us. He tells us what we need to know. I don't know about you, but the more I read the Bible, the more I read the scriptures, the more understanding I have. The Holy Spirit, if you ask for guidance, if you ask the Holy Spirit to lead, you find suddenly things start to make sense. And you suddenly think, yes, that bit goes with that bit. And that bit goes with that bit. Oh, yes. And the Holy Spirit brings to our minds the things that we need to know, things that help us in our walk with him. The Holy Spirit, again, verse 27, helps us to pray. 
How many of you have ever had a burden or you know of someone who's going through a difficult time and you want to pray for them and you just don't know what to say? You've kind of lost for words. You, you're overwhelmed by the circumstances. You're overwhelmed by what's happening and you just don't know how to pray. And so often we pray the penicillin prayer, you know what I mean? Just, Lord, do whatever is necessary. You know, just one big prayer and that should cover everything. Just in case. You don't want to miss anything. That's a great penicillin prayer. But the Holy Spirit teaches us and shows us, helps us how to, to pray specifically. You know, targeting the specific areas that need prayer. You know, there's a story told about a little girl who uh, used to go to bed at night and lay at her bedside and recite the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. One night her mother was walking by the, her bed bedroom and heard her reciting the alphabet and she was intrigued and when the child got up and sat in her bed she said why I'm very interested why did you recite the alphabet to God why did you pray the alphabet she said well I don't quite know how to say what I want to say I don't know all the right words but I know God will take the letters and put them together and he's going to make my prayer and that's a great penicillin prayer. That's a prayer of a child. But as adults, we know the Holy Spirit can help us to pray if we ask. Holy Spirit tells us exactly what we need to pray for. So we could just zoom in on those areas and pray specifically. See, without the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, your prayer life will be very weak. In Romans 9, Paul tells us, we are more than conquerors. We are predestined to be glorified. We don't have a choice about it. And the third thing I thought about, you know, in comparing this game with living the Christian life, is having a winning attitude. I was listening to uh, the news. Well, you know, every day this week we've been bombarded with interviews and with news about the rugby match yesterday, that, that took place yesterday. And I was listening to an interview with a sports psychologist. And they were discussing Johnny Wilkinson, you know, our blue-eyed boy. And he said, yes, he's got great skills, but having great skills is one thing. But without the right mental attitude, things could go horribly wrong. So in the game, having the right winning attitude is very important. And we know that leading up to the game yesterday, a lot of the players were interviewed. And they were all saying, yes, we are hopeful. Yes, we can do it. Yes, we can win. Otherwise, what, are they, what is the point? Yes, we can do it. Yes, I can lead a successful, I can live a successful Christian life. I have all that is necessary to do so. And this is exactly what we have to do as players, so to speak, in this 
gain in this Christian walk that involves every activity in our lives, every day, 24-7, because we know that is what our worship is, 24-7, not just Sunday mornings, not just Sunday evenings, not just prayer evenings and, and Tuesday nights when we meet. It's a 24-7 thing. You know, you are what you think, and your attitude is the inward feeling expressed by an outer behavior. Your attitude can be seen by every person without saying a word. You only have to be married five minutes to know that. Attitude can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Your attitude determines the quality of your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your employer, with your friends, and eventually with God himself. Your attitude is something you choose every day. You know, I was listening to an interview some time ago, and they were interviewing um, a Jewish guy who had been in the concentration camp for a long time. And he was describing all the cruel things that had been done to him while he was there. But he said something very interesting, and I thought about that for quite a while. He said, they could take anything away from me. They can take my children, my wife. They can take my hair. They can cut off my legs. They can dig out my eyes. They could have done whatever they wanted but they could not take my, the right for me to choose, my attitude. They could not take away from me my attitude. I chose to be positive. I chose to believe that God would deliver me. They could not take that away from me. They could take everything else away from me. And that's, this, that's a single one choice that determines sometimes our destiny our ability to choose. No one can take that away from any one of us. Our attitude. What attitude are we going to have? Are we winners? Are we losers? If you think you can't, then you won't. But instead, we can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, it's either we believe that or we don't. This is in this is the word of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says that. Now it's either we believe that or we don't. You know, we can't believe it sometimes and other times think, well, I'm not so sure. It's either a fact or it's not. And then if it's a fact, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Then we have got the winning attitude. The scriptures say, as children of God, we are the head, not the tail. We are blessed, not cursed. We believe that, and we have that right attitude that we are winners. You know, your thoughts are yours by choice. When the enemy puts a lie in your head, in your mind, you have to tell him, no, that's not true. That's not what the scriptures say. That's where it starts, in our head. That's what flows through 
in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul tells us to take captive of every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And it is not God's will that we suffer. It is not God's will that we be in bad health. It's, it's God's will that we prosper and be in good health. The center of man's being are his thoughts. We can choose our attitude, whether we want the winning attitude or the losing one. But it's all there. And we've got a coach who's behind us, who knows us. And we've got the best coach in the world that we can imagine. With God for us, who can be against us? No one. When I was a child, my dad taught me a poem. It went like this. Two men looked out of prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. See, the point is, they were both in the same position, but they had opposites point, opposite points of view. I was reading a story about uh, <coughs> a country and western um, writer, singer, songwriter and singer and uh, the, the, the story went back to explain how he'd written this song and at the same time in the, in the town he lived both these men were in love and both of them were jilted by their sweethearts. One went and jumped off a bridge. That's the loser's attitude. The other one sat down and he wrote a country and western song and that earned him $50,000. And I tell you, in that day, with $50,000, you could forget anybody. But that was the difference, the attitude. One had the winning attitude, one had the losing attitude. Sometimes our attitude is affected by the weather, by the temperature, by traffic jams. Disappointed with other pe disappointment with other people. Our attitude is affected by criticism. How many of you have ever been criticized here before? Oh. Well, the rest of you are not telling the truth. Because at some time, you know, the only way not to be criticized is not to do anything, not to say anything, not to try anything. Because if you're a success, you'll get criticized for that. If you're a failure, you'll get criticized for that. Whatever you do, you'll get criticized. The Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you. I've never had trouble fulfilling that verse of scripture. But do we have the winning attitude? You know something, when you have the right attitude, there's no barrier too high, there's no valley too deep, there's no dream too extreme. Nothing is impossible to those who believe in Jesus Christ. The winning attitude is a vision of total victory. When I was a little girl, my daddy said, I heard my dad say this. When David went to face Goliath, now, Simon and I have had a little discussion about this, and I don't think Simon agrees with me. And it, perhaps it isn't historically true. But my dad said, when David picked up those five stones, 
to approach Goliath. Why did he have five? Some people describe it as F-A-I-T-H, whatever. But he said no, because Goliath had four brothers. And David was going in for the kill. He was going in for total victory. So if Goliath, he had, Goliath had fallen and the other four had come at him, he was there. He was prepared. He went into that battle for total victory. Now, I don't know if that's historically true or not, but looking back, I think it's a good one to think of. Total victory. Is that our attitude? Nothing is impossible with God. We are more than conquerors. Who are we? We're children of God. David said, you come to me with all this armor and whatever you've got, and I come in the name of the Lord. What else do we, know we need? Paul tells us, if God be for us, who can be against us? Who can possibly harm us? If God be for us, him who did not, who sent his only son, he did not hold back on us. He sent us his only son to die for us. Every day we should celebrate. If you wake up in the morning and your name is not in the obituary, way is a day. Celebrate. This is going to be the best day of your life because God is for you. You know, I've been, I've been in and out of hospitals and I've had problems with health and I've, sometimes I feel like I'm not going to make it through the next day. You know, but I've developed an attitude. Every day is going to be the best day of my life. So I wake up in the morning and I celebrate. This is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice in it. And I will wait to see what the Lord is going to do today in my life. It could be a change he's going to make. But I believe his word. And sometimes I lie in bed at night and I think, Yes, I made it through today, Lord. And I look up at the stars and I look up at the sky and I think, I, I don't know how long I might be able to appreciate all of this. But whatever happens, every day I'm going to celebrate because every day is going to be the best day of my life. And I know the best is still to come. The fourth thing I thought about, and there's just one more, because I'm looking at the time, and I'm glad nobody's telling me it's 25 past 7. I was talking to Claire earlier, and this morning I took a service at Hatfield Road. <laughs> and there's a gentleman there, he's 80. And if I go one minute after half past 11, he tells me in the service. He does stand up and say, it's half past 11. So he does let me know. It's time to either finish, or he's going home. But anyway, the fourth thing I thought about was knowing your opponent. And all week I kept hearing on the news about this South African player called Habana, you know. And I, oh, he's just so great. Once he gets the ball, we haven't got a chance. And, and the commentator said, well, what do, you think the, what do you think the plan should be for the English players? And he said, well, just don't let him get the ball. Because if he does, that's it. There's a try and that's it. We're finished. So all the players were clued up. They knew their opponent. 
in this game of life, in this, just as a comparison with the game, we have to know the opponent. Now, I don't mean getting to know who the enemy is. I don't mean getting to read, you know, going and looking up information on who Satan is and where he came from and what he does. No, because we don't really want to know. But we need to know what we're up against. We need to know what we're up against in this game. The winning game. We have to know the enemy. We have to know where, what he's about and where he comes, how he's going to attack. And we know in the scriptures because in John, Jesus says, he is a liar. He's the father of lies. He is very good at that. And where does that start? Here. And the minute he tells you something, you're useless, you're no good, you didn't read your Bible for six hours this week, you didn't pray for 12, you're, you, you, you're no good, um, brings up your past, you know, you're a rotten person, and we start to believe it. Those are the, that is our opponent, the lies that Satan brings. He steals, the Bible says, he's a thief and a liar. He comes to steal our joy. So we know what we're up against. That's why Paul says, take captive of every thought. How can you be a loser when God says, if I am on your side, you are a conqueror, more than conquerors. So when the enemy comes and he says, you're a loser, you just have to, well, I've developed a new technique. When he comes at me, I just say, go and sort it out with Jesus. I don't want to know. And that's the attitude. That's the winning attitude. No, that's a lie. I am a child of God. His royal blood flows in my veins. Knowing the opponent, recognizing when he's after us. And the last point I thought of is, if you make a mistake, don't dwell on it. And again, I was listening to a, um, a, a radio program, and they were talking again about the rugby and about the players. And someone had an interview with Johnny Wilkinson. And they were describing, you know, the way he, he takes his body stance when he's about to take a goal. And then someone also says, what about when you miss? What happens? How do you feel? And I don't know how many of you are rugby fans or sports fans or any sort of fan. I'm just a crazy sports nutcase anyway. So They said when he th misses a goal, he em he, it's almost like he's a gesture that shows he's emptying the tea out of the teacup. Almost like he's, whatever's left, he's turning it over and throwing it away. He's throwing it away. And when they asked him why he did that, he said, because I've made a mistake and I want to forget it. I do not want to carry that into the rest of the game. That's finished, that's over, I've made a mistake, I've finished with it, I've emptied it, I move on. I'm getting on with the rest of the game. And I thought, yes, isn't that what we're supposed to do in this Christian life? Because we're going to make mistakes. I, of all people, know that. I make, I don't know, hundreds every day. But we are going to make mistakes, but we don't dwell on them. Don't live in the past. Don't live in past failures. 
move on. You know, we are so good at beating up ourselves of our failures. We're so good about living in the past, you know. You hear people say, and I, I work with a lot of disillusioned kids in, in Ipswich, you know, and, and everything gets blamed. Somebody gets blamed. Oh, when I was growing up as a child, my, my parents didn't treat me right. My, my father didn't hug me enough. And, you know, and we live in the past. We didn't have enough chocolate chip cookies when we were children. You know, we couldn't afford much. The only thing we could afford, the only thing we could, you know, afford to pay was, well, whatever. We couldn't even afford to pay attention. We were so poor. And people keep living in the past. You know, but we need to put the past away. We need to leave the past in the past. We need to leave God, our failures in the past. We don't, we're not very good at forgiving ourselves, are we? We take it with us all the time. We take it into the future. We take it into the present. We, we're working on it. We're going over it over in our minds. We're rehearsing it all the while and we're forgetting about the winning attitude the positive the the fact that god says we are conquerors we are more than conquerors i can do all things through christ who strengthens me if god is for me who can be against me we forget all these things because we are in the past we need to come away and say no this is where it ends i am a child of god he will never withhold anything from me that is good I'm standing on the promises. Sometimes I read the Lord's Prayer over and over again, and I say to myself, why did Jesus, Jesus missed out something in that prayer. No, he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. But he never said, help us to forgive ourselves. And we can insert that in the Lord's Prayer. Help me to forgive myself, to forget. I've made a mistake, so what? God doesn't remember it. So I don't need to keep reliving it and rehearsing it and thinking about it because today is another day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I am going to rejoice and be glad. It. I'm going to claim what is mine. God wants to bless us. We are the head, not the tail. We are children of God. Sometimes I don't think we know how blessed we are. Earlier, Claire read that bit in um, Ephesians about we are blessed in the heavenly realms. I was so pleased that she, she, she read that because I'd forgotten about it. But we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Do we really know what that means? Sometimes I think if we could really know how blessed we are, we would go out there and we would know that this battle is the Lord's. We don't even have to fight it because it's his. And finally, I just want to share one thing with you. I, I don't know if you know this song, It Is Well With My Soul. This is her positive attitude. This song, It Is Well With My Soul. Anybody knows that? Oh, quite a few. It Is Well My Soul. 
It was written by a very influential, sorry, this was written by a hymnist called Horatio Sprafford. And this hymn was written after several traumatic events in his life. The first, in 1871, his one and only son died. Shortly after that, the great Chicago fire ruined him financially. Then in 1873, within a short period of time, his four daughters and his wife were on a ship bound for Europe, and he was supposed to join them later. He didn't go with them because he had business to do, to attend to. And that ship ran into difficulty, collided with another ship, and all his daughters died. His four daughters died. Sprafford's wife, Anna, survived and sent him the now most famous telegram, Saved alone. Shortly afterwards, as he was traveling to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write the words of this song. Just where his daughters had died, he wrote this song, It is well with my soul. And that's the bottom line. The bottom line is, it is well with my soul. No matter what, because God's on my side. Because I am more than a conqueror. Because Jesus lives in me. And we are more than conquerors. This is a song after he lost just about everything on this earth. When peace like a river attended my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot. Thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul. What faith. What you know, that's not amazing. And I think that is the winning attitude, the winning attitude, winning the game. We have all we need. We have a great coach with the right attitude and with an opponent who hasn't got a hope. No way can he be anything compared to the coach and the support we have the Holy Spirit who dwells in us with the right attitude and with forgetting the past. Paul, Paul wrote this in Philippians 3. Forgetting the past, forgetting the past and straining, getting, going towards the, the future. It is well with my soul. Can we sing this? Thank you, Andrew.